0: Welcome to the United by Strength podcast. Hard work knows no gender, race, sexuality, or creed. It is the universal building block upon which successful tribes are built. Here, you will learn from powerlifting coaches, gymnastics coaches, CrossFit coaches, nutrition coaches, and strongman coaches. We collaborate and share best practices and want to bring our experience and continuing education to you. Beginning at the top of page 135, Fundamentals, Virtuosity, and Mastery, an open letter to CrossFit trainers. Let's kick it off with a quote from Greg Glassman. What will inevitably doom a physical training program and dilute a coach's efficacy Is a lack of commitment to fundamentals. This article was originally published in August 2005. In gymnastics, completing a routine without error will not get you a perfect score, the 10.0. It will only get you a 9.7. To get the last three tenths of a point, you must demonstrate risk, originality, and virtuosity as well as make no mistakes in execution of the routine. Risk is simply executing a movement that is likely to be missed or botched. Originality is a movement or combination of movements unique to the athlete, a move or sequence not seen before. Understandably, novice gymnasts love to demonstrate risk and originality, for both are dramatic, fun, and awe-inspiring, especially amongst the athletes themselves, although the audience are less likely to be aware when either is demonstrated. Virtuosity though is a different beast altogether. Virtuosity is defined in gymnastics as performing the common uncommonly well. Unlike risk and originality, virtuosity is elusive, supremely elusive. It is, however, readily recognized by audience as well as coach and athlete. But more importantly, more to my point, virtuosity is more than the requirement for that last 10th of a point. It is always the mark of true mastery and of genius and beauty. There is a compelling tendency among novices developing any skill or art whether learning to play the violin, write poetry, or compete in gymnastics to quickly move past the fundamentals and on to more elaborate, more sophisticated movements, skills or techniques. This compulsion is the novice's curse, the rush to originality and risk. The novice's curse is manifested as excessive adornment, silly creativity weak fundamentals, and ultimately marked by lack of virtuosity and delayed mastery. If you have ever had the opportunity to be taught by the very best in any field, you have likely been surprised at how simple, how fundamental, how basic the instruction was. The novice's curse afflicts learner and teacher alike. Physical training is no different. What will inevitably doom a physical training program and dilute a coach's efficacy is a lack of commitment to fundamentals. We see this increasingly in both programming and supervising execution. Rarely now do we see prescribed the short, intense couplets or triplets that epitomize CrossFit programming. Rarely do trainers really nitpick the mechanics of fundamental movements. I understand how this occurs. It is natural to want to teach people advanced and fancy movements. The urge to quickly move away from the basics and toward advanced movements arises out of the natural desire to entertain your client and impress him with your skills and knowledge. But make no mistake, it is a sucker's move. Teaching a snatch where there is not yet an overhead squat. Teaching an overhead squat where there there is not yet an air squat is a colossal mistake. This rush to advancement increases the chance of injury and delays advancement and progress and blunts the client's rate of return on his efforts. In short, it retards his fitness. If you insist on basics, really insist on them, your clients will immediately recognize that you are a master trainer. They will not be bored. They will be awed, I promise. They will quickly come to recognize the potency of fundamentals. They will also advance in every measurable way past those not blessed to have a teacher so grounded and committed to basics. Training will improve, clients will advance faster, and you will appear more experienced and professional and garner more respect if you simply recommit to the basics. There is plenty of time within an hour session to warm up, practice a basic movement or skill or pursue a new personal record or max lift, discuss and critique the athlete's efforts, then pound out a tight little couplet or triplet utilizing these skills or just play. Play is important. Tire flipping, basketball, relay races, tag, Hoover ball, and the like are essential to good programming, but they are like seasoning like salt, pepper, and oregano. They are not main courses. CrossFit trainers have the tools to be the best trainers on earth. I really believe that. But good enough never is. And we want that last tenth of a point. The whole 10.0. We want virtuosity. Truly yours, Greg Glassman. Starting at the top of page 137, professional training. Originally published in January 2006. I am a fitness trainer. My practice is more than just a job. It is my passion. My clients are my top priority and their successes are my life's work. I am a professional. On the surface, my job is to shepherd my athletes. I view all my clients as athletes regardless of their age or ability toward physical prowess. But I recognize a purpose to my efforts and an impact on my athletes that transcends the physical. I view training as a physical metaphor for habits and attitudes that foster success in all arenas. I stress that point to all who train with me, and I know I've been successful only after they bring back concrete examples." The lessons learned through physical training are unavoidable. The character traits required and developed through physical training are universally applicable to all endeavors. Perseverance, industry, sacrifice, self-control, integrity, honesty, and commitment are best and easiest learned in the gym. Even clients who have found spectacular success in business, sport, war, or love find their most important values buttressed, refined, and nourished in rigorous training. Being a professional, I believe that my competency is solely determined by my efficacy. My methods must be second to none. Accordingly, fitness trends and fashions are distractions, not attractions. To the extent that my methods are often unconventional unaccepted or unique. They reflect the margins by which I dominate my industry and I take those margins to the bank. A trainer who lusts for popular approval is chasing mediocrity or worse. Committed to unrivaled efficacy, I have, I have often had to develop new tools and methods. This cannot be done without study and experimentation. Consequently, a lot of my work is done not in the gym, but in books and scientific literature and in communication with other trainers and coaches. My competency is determined by my efficacy, which is ultimately determined by my athlete's performance, performance that must be measured. Competition, testing, and record-keeping let me know the difference between merely looking or feeling good and actually being good at what I do. My commitment to my athletes is clearly expressed and perceived in our first meeting. I am all theirs. They are the object of my focus and the focus of my conversation. They come back not because of my physical capacity, but because they believe in my capacity to develop theirs. World-class athletes rarely make world-class trainers. I understand that the modern and near universal trend of skillless and low skill programming delivers inferior results and makes cheerleaders of trainers. I will have none of it. I have to understand the mechanics, cues and techniques of complex movements and to be able to teach them to others. I bring a skill set to my training that scares off most trainers. Keeping up with my athlete's progress demands that I continue to refine and advance my understanding of advanced skills. If a trainer's clients are not testing the limits of his knowledge, he is not doing a good enough job with them. The master trainer is eager and proud to have a student exceed his abilities, but seeks to delay it by staying ahead of the athlete's needs rather than by retarding the athlete's growth. Because I want my clients' training experience to transcend the physical realm, I am obligated to understand their jobs, hobbies, families, and goals. Motivating clients to transcend fitness requires that I be involved in their lives. This is not going to happen without my being both interested in them and interesting to them. Being a voracious reader of books, newspapers, and magazines, I have no shortage of conversation ideas, and knowledge to share. And so you will find me at my clients' parties, weddings, and family gatherings. Indeed, I am a personal friend to nearly every one of my clients. This is extremely gratifying work and often emotionally charged, but it is all right because I am an integral part of my athletes' lives and life is full of laughter, tears, and hope. Our friendship, the fun we have, And the frequency of our contact, coupled with the scope of fitness's impact and the technical merits of my training, contribute to a professional relationship with my clients that they value uniquely. In appreciation, they do all my marketing. I do not advertise, promote, or market. I train very, very well. The more clients I get, the more clients they bring. I do not have time for promotion. I am too busy training. Beginning at the top of page 139, Scaling Professional Training, originally published in January 2006, the standards expressed in professional training, an unyielding commitment to client and efficacy, have guided everything that we have done. More than just the backbone of CrossFit strength and successes, it has been, we believe, the primary reason for our success. Using this template... We built a practice that kept us both busy from roughly 5 a.m. to 10 a.m. Monday through Saturday. That schedule produced a low six-figure income, which is really amazing given that we got to work together with our friends, having a positive impact on people's lives, and keep afternoons free for family, recreation, and study. Training with the attention and commitment that we bring to our practice though fun and immensely rewarding, is also draining, and five appointments per day is about all we could handle without an unacceptable drop in energy, focus, and consequently, professional standards. Eventually, the demand for our training exceeded the time we were professionally able or willing to allot. In an effort to accommodate more athletes, we began to hold group classes. We had used group classes to train some of our athletic teams and everyone loved them, trainers and athletes alike. The social dynamic of group classes is extremely powerful. Run correctly, they motivate an athlete athletic output that is only rarely matched in one-on-one training. The competition and camaraderie of the group classes motivated our line, men will die for points, and the recognition that CrossFit is the sport of fitness. Group classes also dramatically increase training revenues. There are, however, two drawbacks to group classes. The first is space. More athletes require more space to train, but fortunately, the space required to train 10 people is not 10 times that required for one, and space adequate for one athlete can serve three or four athletes well. The second drawback is that the reduced trainer to trainee ratio can dilute the professional training standards that we have embraced. This natural dilution can, however, be compensated for by the trainer's development of a skill set that is only rarely found. To run group classes without compromising our hallmark laser focus and commitment to the athlete, the trainer has to learn to give each member of the group the impression that he is getting all the attention that he could get in a one on one training session and that requires tremendous training skill. We have seen this skill fully and adequately developed by only one path, gradually migrating from one-on-one to group sessions. The trainers who are running group classes without growing into them are typically not working to the professional training standards that we have described. They also seem to have an inordinate difficulty filling their classes. This is exactly how we built our group classes. After working for years at the limit of our one-on-one capacity, we started accepting new members by doubling them up with other one-on-one clients to form one-on-two appointments. We introduced the shift to group classes by telling the existing one-on-one clients that we had good news for them. Your training rate is going to go down and we're going to introduce you to a new friend. Where there was resistance to sharing the time we asked for a trial period, it went swimmingly well. We structured payment so that a client who was paying, say, $75 per session would now be paying only $50. This this drives the trainer's hourly revenue up and reduces the client's total cost per session. This prompted many to come more often. When our schedules filled and it became necessary to bring a third person to each group, We brought the individual rate to $40 per session, and again, the trainer's hourly rose and the client's costs fell. With the addition of each new athlete to the session, the rates fall for the athlete and rise for the trainer, and it all works perfectly unless there's a perceived reduction in attention. All the demands on the trainer skyrocket in this situation, however. Attention, enthusiasm, voice projection, and engagement all have to escalate. It is an acquired skill, in art really. Our goal is to give so much attention and in-your-face presence to each participant that each is actually grateful that he did not get more attention. The essential shift is that the level of scrutiny and criticism is ratcheted up along with the rate of praise and input for each client. The trainer becomes extremely busy. There is no way a new trainer can walk into this environment and do well. Imagine the decline in standards for those trainers who are participating in their classes while trying to lead them. We see this too often, and the training is always substandard. Within two years, we had morphed our one-on-one practice to all group classes without increasing the number of hours we worked each week, although we both kept a couple of choice one-on-one clients. We charged $15 per class and averaged 10 to 15 athletes per session. This substantially raised our income. It also gave a much-noticed boost to the stability of our practice. Seasonal fluctuations due to summer and Christmas vacations largely disappeared. With a one-on-one practice, when three clients you see two to three times per week are by coincidence on vacation simultaneously, your income takes a hit. Not so with group classes. At the same time we started converting our practice from one-on-one to group classes, we launched CrossFit.com. The launch of the website was motivated by the same commitment to client and efficacy that motivated our training. We were looking not to increase our revenues, but to favorably impact more people with our training. The difference may seem inconsequential, but the public clearly knows the difference. The group classes, the website, this journal, our seminars, and our affiliate program were all introduced to bring more quality training to more people. Each of these additions also increased CrossFit's value for everyone involved. It was our original one-on-one clients who initially came to and benefited from the group classes, subscribed to the journal, visited the website, and attended the seminars. Every CrossFit expansion has served the entire community. We are in pursuit not of money, but excellence. The difference, we believe, is the difference between success and failure. The pursuit of excellence is the heart of our business plan. Money is, for many, elusive because markets are unknowable. But while markets are unknowable, excellence is obvious to most everyone, especially free and large markets. If you can accept the three premises that one, markets are largely unknowable, two, excellence is obvious to everyone, and three, free markets reward excellence, it becomes obvious that the most effective business plan comes from achieving excellence and letting the market bring the money to you. The efficiency and effectiveness of this paradigm is breathtaking. We have used the pursuit of excellence to guide our every move. For instance, when we were considering the last expansion of CrossFit Santa Cruz, we could not determine whether it would be financially feasible or not. The variables were too numerous and the assumptions too uncertain to convince any accountant of the wisdom of expansion. But when we asked the simple question, will it improve the quality of programming and the training experience? The answer was a resounding yes. On expansion, the CrossFit Santa Cruz numbers tripled within six months, and the extra space allowed for some refinements and additions to our programming that would not have been possible otherwise. As our seminars, journal, website, and affiliate program grew, we handed off the group classes to a new generation of CrossFit trainers who now cover most of the overhead costs of CrossFit Santa Cruz. This has afforded us time and opportunity to commit more energy and resources to new projects that support and develop the CrossFit community. Thank you for listening to the United by Strength podcast. We hope that you enjoyed the information that we were able to put out today. Please take from it what you want and leave what you don't. If you have feedback for us, please send it to United by Strength podcast. At gmail.com. Please leave us a review if you have the time. It really helps people find the podcast and allows us to grow our base of listeners.